Good evening, and welcome to Midnight Audio Theater, the weekly show where we feature new and original audio dramas, be they adventure, mystery, sci-fi, or comedy. I'm your host, Kathy Ranella. And thank you for joining us once again on another chilly night, audio drama fans. Black Friday is drawing to a close with more traffic and general shopping hullabaloo ahead of us for the weekend. So for this show, it seemed almost fitting that we find ourselves on a road where people no longer travel across the great expanse of the Atlantic Ocean. The Bridge is a podcast series that emerged this past summer with a look at an alternative present day, where the great transcontinental bridge sits quietly, overlooked by lighthouses, broadcasting weather, and traffic for any drivers traveling across the bridge. One lighthouse in particular, Watchtower 10, has begun its own series of unique reports, spurred on by the boredom of its staff, but revealing several mysteries that lie in the deep. The bridge was inspired by its co-creators' mutual love of eldritch monsters, mysterious folklore, and quaint tourist trap seaside towns. The story is an interesting, candid-style formula, with the occasional music bed behind the stories the main character tells, and whether planned or not, the music itself becomes a character that distorts in time with the tale, something to keep an ear out for as we tune in tonight. We hope you enjoyed this set of stories from The Bridge. We have the first two episodes of the series for your eager ears. They are entitled Bedtime Stories and Salty Abyss. Enjoy. Congratulations on beginning your journey across the Transcontinental Bridge. Before you get started, we'd like to point out a few things that are sure to make your vehicular excursion of over 3,500 miles into an expedition that's fun for the whole family. Gone are the days of old where you crammed into those awful airborne death traps with 200 of your closest friends. Now you can settle in for a peaceful voyage from ports like Boston, New York City, and Miami, all the way over to the other side of the ocean. Be sure to check out our newest port, Camaret-sur-Mer, home of the Golden Tower. For your convenience, we've provided many hotels along the route. We recommend the lush, elegant, and, dare we say it, monstrously regal Transcontinental Hotel. Our expertly trained staff will stop at nothing to ensure that your every need is met. If you only plan to linger in one particular place for a few hours, we have plenty of bridge-side towns that feature fine dining and hourly entertainment. Any thrill-seekers out there should check out Aqualand, an amusement park with the world's first and fastest immersive ocean experience roller coaster. For your safety, we've strategically placed watchtowers throughout the bridge. Be sure to tune in to 8.15 a.m. to get the quickest, crispest updates about traffic, weather, and any other difficulties you may encounter. We want you to have the safest time possible as you cross the Atlantic, so be sure to call into our watchtowers in case of anything suspicious or an emergency, whichever comes first. We hope you're ready for quite the adventure on the Transcontinental Bridge. 
I'm sorry, everyone. That recording's been around longer than I've been alive, and it's still... Congratulations on beginning your journey oh, across come on. Every time. Started, like Hold on a second, everyone. Sure <sighs> Kate said it would be fixed yesterday, but is it fixed yesterday? No, because guess what? It's today. I'm still listening to the Welcome Brigade drone on and on about how Aqualad was such a great idea. <sighs> Silence. Normally, I hate that sound, but today I'm willing to make an exception. Now, where were we? There's nothing uncommon about seeing abandoned things along the bridge. It's not unlike the mainland in that way. How many times have you seen forests cleared out to make room for strip malls no one will ever use? How many times have you driven past the pristine, identical houses of a gated community in the middle of nowhere and wondered if anyone ever lived there at all? The distinction between lived in and deserted, where whispers on the wind can carry welcomes or warnings, seems to be a pretty common theme out here. When night sets in, you can't tell if that ship on the horizon harbors a single living soul or if the silver glint bouncing off of its sails is more than just moonlight. But that's not what I'd like to talk to you about today. What happened at the Transcontinental Hotel isn't exactly that kind of story. This is a success story. They built it, and people did come. We've been getting some calls lately, or one call to be exact. So, Frank, just for you... Here are the facts. The Transcontinental Hotel was a mainstay of Checkpoint 8 for 10 years. And it was beautiful. Five floors of spacious suites, a three Michelin star restaurant featuring the freshest fish you've ever tasted, 24-hour world-class concierge service, and a ballroom outfitted with 12 crystal-clear floor-to-ceiling windows. When you danced, It was like you were dancing in the sea. Here's another fact. The Transcontinental Hotel closed, without notice or fanfare, the day after its 10th anniversary. I said this was a success story. I didn't say for how long. You're listening to The Bridge. Welcome to episode number, uh, <laughs> well, the episode number doesn't really matter anyway. As you know, there are long stretches of time where I have nothing else to do but provide you with the best quality bridge folklore that my paycheck can buy. When there aren't any storms on the horizon, ye old watchtower doesn't really need a lot of upkeep. And there's no one on the road, so there go my traffic reports. A few days ago, fueled by boredom and a little too much caffeine, I stumbled upon a few things in Watchtower 10's archives. 
please don't tell my boss. These documents, ledgers, pay stubs, pictures, chronicle the events that led up to that one fateful night in the Transcontinental Hotel. After the disappearances, they were thought to be lost. Just one more thing eroded away by time. Luckily for you, that wasn't the case. If you're listening with young children, or if, like Frank, you're allergic to whimsy, you might want to change the station for the next five minutes. Is everyone else ready for the rest of our little bedtime story? Good. The party, they say, wasn't for the Transcontinental Hotel's 10th anniversary. That would have gone against their one unshakable tenet. Everything for the guest. It's likely that none of the party's guests ever knew that the hotel, too, was celebrating that night. So really, there were two parties. In the ballroom, the fabulously wealthy guests laughed and twirled within those floor-to-ceiling windows. But in the very back of the kitchen, the Transcontinental's overnight staff quietly toasted themselves with a cheap bottle of champagne. There were eight of them that evening. The overnight concierge, the chef, the sous-chef and the line cook, three members of the waitstaff, and the concierge's nine-year-old daughter, there to watch the rich people dance across the sea. She toasted with sparkling apple juice. The other party, though, that's the one people still talk about, and yet no one seems to know what exactly they were celebrating. If you were hoping for a place to stay that night, you were out of luck. Those passing the Transcontinental Hotel reported locked doors and a single sign. Private event. Drivers also reported an unusually windy night along Checkpoint 8. Transcripts of that evening's traffic reports described gusts that carried the seagulls' cries this way and that down the bridge. Cries that sounded, to many, like people. And the next morning, every adult who spent the night in the Transcontinental Hotel was gone. Or so they say. All we know for sure is drivers passing by the next night found a very different sign on the front door. Permanently closed. There are theories, of course. As you'll recall, whenever anything unfortunate occurs on the bridge, there are always whispers of an uninvited guest from deep within the ocean, far deeper than we could hope to chart. But many believe this guest was much more welcome in that ballroom than we'd like to think. Many believe it was, in fact, the guest of honor. Well, now I'm sorry that I told Frank to stop listening, because I've got one more fact for all of you. If you happen to pass the Transcontinental Hotel, if you hop the fence and slip through the unlocked door past the gardens, you can still see what's become of it. Every one of those floor-to-ceiling windows in the ballroom has been shattered, and on the wall of the opposite hallway, one word has been carved. Return. But depending on when you time your visit, you may see something else, too. Every year, right around that time, the Transcontinental Hotel closed its doors for one final night. Things turn up around Checkpoint 8. In the middle of the road, by the way stations, places people are sure to find them. Watches, scarves, lockets, a purse strap. Each one nothing special on its own. And each one positively identified by the families of the missing as a belonging of their lost loved one. 
a belonging that they're sure must have been in their possession when they vanished. For all this talk of the party, the guest of honor, the windows, the word, whenever this story's told, there are seven people you never hear about. The concierge, the chef, the sous chef, the line cook, and the three waitstaff. It was their celebration, their disappearance, too. But, like they always said, everything for the guest. Maybe that's why their belongings have never shown up. You'll notice I said seven, and you'll notice earlier that I said every adult. Because no one really knows what happened to the concierge's daughter. There are rumors that she was discovered a few days after the disappearances, disoriented but alive. Perhaps she woke up in the abandoned hotel and walked along the bridge, searching for help. But she's never come forward. When those families of the missing descend checkpoint eight once a year, combing the streets for their loved ones' tchotchkes, she's never been among them. Not once. So these days, the prevailing theories are, unfortunately, quite macabre. They say either she vanished along with the adults, or she died. It's been said that if you stand in the hallway where the employees' quarters were located, you can hear a child crying. The sound is faint, but only for a moment. The longer you stay in the hotel, it seems, the louder her cries become. We never learned her name. She was too young. The only thing we have left to go off of are a set of initials. H.P. So, that's all I've got for you. Twelve broken windows, one word, and one nine-year-old girl. As I've been pointing out for quite some time, there have been other strange stories about the bridge, and more than one instance of the word return being etched somewhere close by. So, HP, if you're not a ghost and wouldn't mind calling in to talk about what happened, it'd be appreciated. We'd love to know. Did you leave the chocolate fountain running again? Roger. How quick we are to place the blame. Tell me, how is the weather on the high road this morning? Still holier than now, or... Stop deflecting and answer the question. Did you, in your infinite wisdom, leave the chocolate <laughs> fountain? That's not entirely my fault. Breaking out the old fondue maker was Bertie's idea. It was your idea to build that thing in the first place. And you promised you'd be careful with it. And now there's chocolate all over the kitchen floor and... There is unexpected chocolate in the kitchen. Actually, I'm pretty sure that chocolate's been identified. Oh. Do you know what happens when too much chocolate is poured into that... That Frankenstein's monster version of a machine that you and Bertie built? It keeps running anyway. And when that melted chocolate isn't being heated anymore, it doesn't just sit there. Oh no, no, it molds around whatever it can find. Half of our appliances are edible now. <laughs> so, what you're really saying is now we have an all-you-can-eat chocolate bar. <laughs> you know, because the bar's... Kate's trying to shut that thing off now, but what I want to know is, what were you doing that was more important than making sure our toaster wasn't a marshmallow and graham cracker away from becoming a s'more. I was, um, reading a bedtime story. To who? To whoever's listening. <laughs> and, um, Frank. Frank, though I don't think he's listening anymore, that might have been my fault. You could just give the traffic report. You know, since that's your job. 
Or do I need to get you to read your job description again? No, no. Once a week is really enough. Can you do your job without me calling in every five seconds? I certainly can't do it with you waiting around to correct me, or while you're muttering your woe-is-me thoughts on life under your breath. What was that? <clears throat> it's another Tuesday here on Watchtower 10. Here's your hourly traffic report. Well, it looks like there's nothing happening on the Transcontinental Bridge because there's no one on the road tonight. Or ever. It's funny, really. This thing's only been open for 50 years and it's already falling apart. People put all kinds of time and resources into building this thing and then they just toss it aside when they get bored. I mean, come on, this bridge spans the entire Atlantic Ocean. How cool is that? I I can't. I just, I can't. I'm done. Um... Anyway, there's still nothing going on. I know, I know, I'm just as shocked as you are. The skies are as dark and clear as ever. I've taken to renaming the constellations because there's not much else to do. There's a squiggly one up to my right named Roger's Angry Face, and another one that I like to call... Do you have to do this every time? Looking out on the horizon, it's easy to see that, uh... Oh. Oh my god. What's going on? Something's coming. It's... it's a car? That's a first. I haven't seen a car on this road since... Oh, hold on. Its blinkers are going. I think it's signaling something. It's... it's pulling to a stop on the shoulder. Okay, maybe I should signal back. Let them know someone can see them. Something just reached out of the water. It looked like... Like a giant tentacle. What? If you're listening to this, stay as far away from Watchtower 10 as you can. Get off the bridge. There's something... Oh, oh God. Another tentacle. When will this end? When will... Edda. <clears throat> I was just, uh... Just having some fun. Fun? Yeah. You know that thing you stopped having when you grew up? You see that piece of paper on your desk? Mm. There are lots of pieces of paper on my... The one to the left of the microphone. Ugh, you folded it into a swan on your first day? Oh, my job description. Right. Now, where exactly does it list fun as a requirement or qualification? (sighs) Nowhere. Then get back to work. No more fake accidents. No more fake accidents. Sorry about that, everyone. I guess I got a little carried away. No Lovecraftian monsters here, on this bridge in the middle of nowhere. Nope, none at all. Just me. There is unexpected chocolate in the kitchen. So, the traffic report. As usual, the clouds are ramming into each other as they all race to cover up the moon. God forbid we have any source of light that isn't fluorescent. Okay, next time you decide to turn me into Willy Wonka, give me a heads up first. I don't want to have to go Augustus Gloop on your ass. Was it that bad? Roger and I agreed it's now your job to make dinner for everyone. You'll have quite the task ahead of you, too. There aren't many ingredients left. And don't get me started on what happened at the stove. Hey, I didn't hear you complaining when I managed to make that fruit salad work. And without any fruit. That was just a salad, Etta. But was it a good salad? Yeah. And yet you still suspect me of making terrible flavor decisions. Do you know where Bertie went? Nope. Thought he'd be in the kitchen, but... There is unexpected chocolate in the kitchen. 
Kate, I thought the chocolate was under control. Ugh, it was. I gotta go. Well, now that my unexpected visit is over, we'll get back to it. The traffic report for today is... You've gotta be kidding me. You're on speaker. Do you think this is funny? Sorry, what? What exactly are you trying to pull here? Uh, right now I'm trying to pull an answer out of you. Look out the window. There's something in the water. What? Do I need to repeat myself? I don't see anything. I hate to ask the obvious question here, but... Oh, was that Birdie? You said Birdie was in the kitchen. No, I think I said he was supposed to be in the kitchen. What? Semantics. Never mind. Where the hell did he go? Hold on, let me consult the handy-dandy tracker I placed on him this morning. I hope you're kidding. My seriousness regarding the matter shall remain a mystery. Is that thing still in the water? No, no, I don't see it anymore. It's gone. And that weird interference... I'll keep looking for Birdie. If you find him before I do, tell him to report to my office. We've got some things to discuss, if he's in good condition. If you're planning world domination, you might have to be a little less suspicious. Ouch. One day I'd like to have a conversation that doesn't result in hurt feelings. You traitor. You're not dead. And traitor's a little harsh, isn't it? You're the one who left the kitchen. We had a deal, Bertrand. Of course I'm not dead. What gave you that idea? Roger and I picked up some weird interference when we were talking earlier. I thought it might be you, but whatever was on the other end didn't really sound alive. I... I didn't hear it. I went to check on the hydrangeas, and I had every intention of going back to make sure the chocolate didn't overflow and create a river in the kitchen, but then I had to go into something level three to make sure... Fountains overflowing with chocolatey goodness take priority over everything else. It's like you've learned nothing these past three years. This isn't a joking matter. It isn't pretty down there. There's something Why are you just telling me about this now? Communication down at that level. I found you as soon as I could. I thought you'd be in the kitchen, but... Wait... What were you doing over there anyway? According to Roger, my job. That is disappointing. Oh, tell me about it. All I wanted to do was give him a good story. Uh, Birdie? When you went down to Submare 3, did you... Of course I did. You think I would just leave the door wide open? Maybe I should go check. Yeah, I'll come with you for emotional support. Okay, okay, I just don't want to be here alone. Let's get Kate before we go. What about Roger? Unless we're planning on reading my job description aloud down there, I think Roger can keep an eye on things up here. Uh, Just in case... Oh, well, in case we have any emergencies while the rest of us are underwater. Are you still broadcasting? Yeah, but no one's listening. Turn it off before you leave. I'll go get Kate. Ugh. I'll go check that now. Well, everyone, it looks like I've got to go deal with something. I'd like to leave you with a small story before I go. When I was a kid, Mom used to read to me every night. The books, I I only remember a few of them. Some of them had to do with the bridge, but there were other things, too. Long forgotten towns, memories lost to time itself. My mother, the 
last thing I remember. She's putting me to sleep. I wasn't in the mood for stories that night, so I interrupted her every chance I got. My head... My head felt funny. Like something heavy was sitting on it. My eyes didn't want to stay open, even though I wanted them to. I begged them to just stay open. But it didn't work. She took me away from the party, even though I tried to stay awake. We didn't go back to our normal room. Instead, she led me down the hallway. I remember the path. Left, right, down the stairs, through a set of doors I'd been forbidden to go to. And then, and then I slept. Nothing could wake me up. Nothing did wake me up. I didn't know it at the time, but my mother... She must have known something was going to happen that night because she hid me in a place that only the staff knew about. And it saved my life. I told you earlier that the little girl never returned to Checkpoint 8. Instead, she kept a record of every item that's turned up over the years, carefully cataloging them as she waited for a sign that her loved one moved on. A simple but beautiful necklace. A canvas bag that could store all of her snacks. And a few of her toys. When I woke up, I was in a ship's cargo hold. I stumbled up the steps, and a very startled captain asked me where my mother was. I had no idea what to tell him. That was 15 years ago, and the answer to that question still hasn't changed. Yet. My name, my real name, is Henrietta. Henrietta Peralt. My mother was the Transcontinental Hotel's lead concierge. She was taken from me on the same night the rest of her staff and all those guests disappeared. I know she's still out there. And I will go through every story about this bridge. I will search every drop of water in this ocean until I find her. We'd like to thank you for listening to our first ever episode. This episode of The Bridge was written by Alex Brown and Rebecca Mahoney. It features, in order of appearance, Sarah Grover as The Welcome Brigade, Alex Brown as Etta, Chris Martin as Roger, Liz Hull as Kate, Rebecca Mahoney as The Weird Interference, and David Piccarello as Birdie. This episode also features special guest star Alex Najibi as The Alarm. The two fantastic pieces of music that accompany tonight's Transcontinental Hotel folktale, as well as the opening chime and the traffic report chime, were composed by the inimitable Sarah Fairchild. Our amazing main theme was composed by the equally amazing Jake Hull. This episode was edited and mixed by Alex Brown and Ian Heflin. The static sound effects were provided by Dead Signals, creators of the Archive 81 podcast. We'd also like to thank our friends at Wolf359 and The Bright Sessions for their advice and moral support. If you're not already listening to these awesome podcasts, check them out. Want to learn more about the Transcontinental Bridge? Visit our website at thebridgepod.com. You can also find us on Twitter at bridge underscore podcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes, and feel free to email us at watchtower10reports at gmail.com. It's kind of a long address, but if you go to our website and click on the little mail icon, it'll lead you right to it. Thank you once again for listening to The Bridge. As a special treat, we present a blooper from our very own Chris Martin. Mm -hmm.
<laughs> that last one sounded kind of like a cow. Don't use that one. I don't want to moo. Can your scenic ocean drive be interrupted by that terrible grating question? How many times have you searched for an answer only to hope that something will intervene and provide your kids with a much-needed distraction? Well, you can stop hoping right now because Aqualand is here to save the day! It's only a short drive away from Checkpoint 11 when you've had more fun than you can handle, be sure to visit the Kraken, Aqualand's premier interactive underwater roller coaster is sure to be a scream. Okay, that's all we need to know about Aqualand. Ugh, glad they had so much faith in the Kraken. That definitely didn't backfire. But you didn't come here to listen to me drone on and on about one of the bridge's biggest disasters. Tonight, I'd like to share a story that's been told around the Watchtower 10 dinner table at least two or three times. Okay, maybe ten. I hope you'll forgive me for what I said during that last episode. I've shared so many stories with you, and that was the first one. The only one, really, that was ever personal. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, then maybe you can dig up a recording of our last episode. There has to be one floating around out there, somewhere. But, if not, then my words, and the meaning behind them, become one more thing eroded away by time. And if there's one thing I've learned out here, it's that the past is never really quite done with us. Does anyone remember that ad campaign? Those old posters you still see everywhere. If you know what I'm talking about, you can probably imagine it now. That etching of the bridge, and instead of beams and girders, just one word supporting it. Connection. But what is connection exactly? Why do we seek it? And, more importantly, what happens when it seeks us? We'll find out today. You're listening to... The Bridge. campaign's word choice was certainly an interesting one. Suddenly, all these faraway places seemed so... accessible. No tickets, no airport security or travel-sized shampoos, or that guy in 16D who for some reason needs the entire armrest. It's a nice idea, I guess, that you could drop everything one day and go, meet people you may never have known otherwise. But, as always, there's a catch. 
If you want to meet those people, you have to cross one of the loneliest places in this world. You have to dance into the reach of the loneliest living things. <laughs> no, Frank, I'm not talking about you. Sometimes I think I know what it means to live out here. But if you're on the bridge tonight, imagine the spot you're in without you in it. Imagine that there's nothing where you're standing but ocean. And imagine that's the way you want it. Can you do that? Reach deep down into that part of yourself you only seem to feel when you're alone. The part that wonders if that solitude will last forever. The part that hungers for it. Look where you're standing right now and imagine there's nothing. Just you and that feeling. And then imagine someone changes that without asking you. If you're imagining right, I think you know there's no language we could possibly share with the things that live out here. They're smart, though. They don't need a language to share. They've learned ours. I know what certain listeners must be thinking right now. But for the more pedantic among us, I scored a primary source for my tale this evening. A report from just a year ago, written by one bridge travel agent Lemaire of Checkpoint 12. Now, our friend Lemaire comes into the story a little late. By the time his report begins, the scene is already set. A family of 14 stopped just two miles past the checkpoint, frantically searching for their youngest daughter. No, not searching, I suppose. Because they can hear her, way, way down toward the lowest parts of the bridge's skeleton, crying for someone to climb down to her. Somehow, Lemaire, on duty by himself that night, is able to restrain the panicked family from vaulting the guardrail themselves. He is able to hide from her crying parents that his heart is pounding almost as fast as theirs. And somehow, without a single extra pair of hands to help, he manages to assemble all the gear he needs to lower himself down to the surface of the water. He admits to the eldest brother he'd never lowered himself so far down before. But, as he confesses here in the report, he's never so much as crossed the guardrail. So here he is, in the middle of the night, strapped into a harness that seems less and less sturdy the more he looks at it. But he listens to that little girl crying. Over his shoulder, he can hear the girl's father howling. So he takes a breath, and he starts to climb. And then someone grabs him by the shoulders and throws him back, away from the edge. That little girl's father was shouting for him, telling him to get back. Lemaire gets his bearings, and then he notices where the father is pointing. His wife is standing behind him, as is his youngest daughter, who was sleeping in the back of the RV the entire time. Over the side of the bridge, he can still hear the little girl's voice, begging for someone to climb down. He hears it long after that family has driven away. Out here, you'll hear dozens of stories like that. We have a name for what makes those sounds. We call them mockingbirds. No one knows what they want, of course. We tell each other to ignore the voices that couldn't possibly be there, and so far most of us have succeeded. Some think it's a lure, like those fish that carry light in the deepest parts of the ocean, but others don't find it so sinister. I've never heard them calling for me, but I think they must want what we want. Connection. 
It makes sense if you think about it. If you were completely alone, surrounded by nothing but an endless expanse of soul-crushing darkness, with an occasional thought about how no one is coming to find you ever, then you would... Hey, Etta. Yes? I, um, I brought you something. Maybe this'll help. Help with... Roger hasn't told you? Told me what? Uh, maybe I should... Ah, there you are. I don't know why I bothered checking for you anywhere else. (laughs) I'm always here, Roger. Well, except when I'm not. Birdie's waiting for you on level four. No, there's nothing up there but wind and total darkness. I didn't sign up to live in this hellhole because I wanted to listen to your riveting poetic interpretation of our circumstances. I need you to go up to level four and make sure the breakers are in good condition. Why can't Kate do that? She's better with the whole fixing thing than I am. Kate and I are going down to the submares to check on things. Now hold on, that's my job. I'm responsible You'll for... do as you're told. Appraise what you can on the upper levels. Check the windows and the big light too while you're at it. I want to make sure we're prepared for the storm. It should be here in the next few hours. The windows and the big light? That whole floor isn't stable. You want us to climb up there and make sure our giant flashlight doesn't break? What if the wind knocks it off its hinges and then it knocks into us? If you and Kate are down in the submares, then who exactly is going to fish us out of the salty abyss once we fall in? No one. Don't fall. Thank you for the advice. Oh, great one. Roger, maybe I should... No, I need you with me in the submares. Just in case. Well, this plan can only end in tears and heartache. Bertrand, ready your courage, cause we're headed up to the creepy attic. The moon's not even out. You can't see a thing. Oh, don't remind me. Oh my god, it's like I'm on a staff with five-year-olds. Look, the storm's supposed to hit us in a couple of hours, so you have to get this done tonight. I'm sorry. Are you? Wait till my ghost comes back to haunt you. Which reminds me of a story. Edda, not now. <sighs> fine, fine. But when the spirits of broadcasters past appear to show you the error of your ways, I hope you remember this day as the one when everything went horribly, terribly wrong. So, who's gonna say it? Say what? Oh, come on, you know what. I really don't. <sighs> I've never been more disappointed in you. Pretty soon you'll just walk off into the darkness and get eaten by a velociraptor. Look, can we just... Wait, what? (laughs) It's from a movie, Bertrand. You know, that thing with the moving pictures and random explosions. I don't like movies with explosions. Oh, well, this one's a little light on the pyrotechnics. It's got lots of dinosaurs, though. And a romance? Well, kind of. Maybe I'll watch it then. You know, once the storm's out of the way. We can have a marathon. What's wrong? You ran out of stories to tell? Me? Never. Good. Dinner wouldn't be the same without them. Now, shine that light in the corner over there. What? You mean in that super dark corner where creepy crawlies could be lurking? (laughs) And I thought you weren't scared of anything. There is a big difference between liking a good ghost story and being fearless. You don't say. Could you... Something's in here. Uh, us? No. Something else. (laughs) Last I checked, we didn't have a creepy laugh track following us around. Right? No. Great. Didn't think so. Do you think they're all right up there? (laughs) 
I'd be more worried about us. Right. So, how do we know if the containment door stops working? Uh, pretty sure we'd be dead. Mm. Mm-hmm. Really glad there was some planning put in there. Again! That's why you're here. <laughs> and what exactly am I supposed to do if we find ourselves in worst-case scenario land? Shoot him? Dazzle him with my girlish charm? Do I need to remind you what would happen if it got out? He has a name, you know. Now you're starting to sound like her. Someone has to. She's the only one who can calm him down, and you sent her to fix a light. How do you figure that would make any sense? If it came down to it, Etta wouldn't be able to do what was necessary. She knows it, too. Hell, even Bertie knows it. And he's off talking to his hydrangeas most of the time. So that's it, then? I'm a disposal service. The company's fail-safe. <laughs> a year ago, you were completely fine with that. <laughs> What the? Uh, level four to submarine three. Level four to submarine three. Do you copy? We copy level four. What's your status? Roger. Can you put Kate on? What? Can you? Etta, what's going on? Are you all right? Uh, depends on your definition of all right. We uh might be hearing things. That's an understatement. <laughs> that. We're hearing that. Us too. Hang out where you are. Yeah. In the dark, with the creepy giggle ghost. Sounds like a great plan. We'll be right. Roger, please tell me that was you. Roger. <laughs> Etta? What? Turn around. Slowly. Oh, come on. Is anyone there? Submare 3 to level 4. Where are you? Okay. Status report. One walkie that may or may not reach the others. One missing pain in the ass, or whatever Roger is. One... Bob? One flashlight that Roger had. Great. One gun, which I'm not using. Right now, anyway. And one me. One. Kate? 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 They can handle themselves. What are we going to do about... <laughs> that. Unless you're secretly a witch or a priest, not much. So we... <laughs> okay, let's get out of here. Birdie? Of course. Here I am, in the dark. <laughs> you know, you can only do that so many times before it loses its effect. Henrietta? No. Henrietta? It's not possible. Mom? One question, darling. Will you know who I am when we meet again? Etta? Etta! Are you all right? What happened? Bertie? Is that really you? You're definitely not all right. You just called me Bertie. I... um... What happened to you? I don't know. I was standing next to you and then I was downstairs. Weird thing is, I heard someone as I was coming up the stairs. I thought I heard... I heard it too. I thought... A voice from a long time ago. Let's get out of here. We can fix the breaker later. No. We came up here to do this. 
How exactly do we do this? Point the light over there and pay attention this time. I can't believe it. I'm actually starting to miss Roger. Kate. If this light would just turn back on. Kate. I knew I should have checked the battery before I came down here. You never listen to me. Why? Because you're not real. Not anymore. I'm just as real as you. No. I know exactly what you are, and I don't care about anything you have to say. Well, you should. You won't be able to save them all. It's almost here. What is? The moment where you'll have to choose. Who will you allow to live? Who will you fail to save? Okay, do me a favor, Bertrand. Next time you tell me to pay attention, make sure I've got a little notebook to write everything down properly. Etta? Huh, you know, I think there's still something wrong with me. I could have sworn I heard Kate's voice. Because you did. Weird. I hear it too. Check your walkie, will you? Oh. Where's Roger? We spend an awful lot of time looking for each other in this place. He's definitely not here. He was right next to me. And then... Ugh. Oh my god, are you okay? What happened? Something... Something hit my head. What'd I miss? Nothing. Power went out. Power's back on. And... Everything is where it should be. As fascinating as this conversation is, I'd also like to have dinner sometime in the near future. Bertrand? Food would be nice. It's settled then. Report to the kitchen in... well, as soon as you can. Did you know that there are only three words in the English language that begin with dwa, dwindle, dwarf, and dwell? Kate, this isn't the... Dweeb. It's a fun fact, Roger. Uh, dweeb also starts with DW. I'll allow it. That poisson arrangement. What? That dream within a dream. Okay, I'm drawing the line on that one. Kate. I'm drawing a line in the sand, Bertie. It's a modern Guys? class. Bertie, can you pass the beans? Roger, can you pass the salt? You can reach the salt just fine. Sure, but I'd have to reach over you like this. Okay, uh, all right, yes, thank you. I could have done without the demonstration. Etta, can you pass the- No, I will not pass the tea or a napkin or the pepper, so get over it, okay? Just get over it. Etta? We've all been sitting around for an hour pretending nothing happened. But dinner was your idea. Because I wanted to talk. But clearly that's not happening anytime soon. <sighs> what would you like to talk about? I don't know any of it. The voices, for starters. I'd rather not talk about that part in particular. But we heard those voices for a reason. And you, more than anyone, know that there are things out there that can mimic voices. What? All the stories you tell at dinner are bound to stick at some point. I didn't know you were listening. I'm sorry. What I heard, that voice, I, I hadn't heard that voice in a long time. If you don't want to talk about it, I won't force you. Well, looks like it's just me and you, kid. Yeah. Who... who did you hear? My cousin. Which is impossible. And you? My mother. Also impossible. So, here we are. Surrounded by impossibilities. Some of them are more terrifying than others. How do you stand it? 
Stand what? I don't know. Impossibility? The chance that those voices really were- It wasn't them. I know that much. But how- I know I don't make this request often, but just trust me. Okay? That was certainly an interesting turn of events. Bertie won't talk about the voice he heard while he was climbing up the steps, and I... Well, I shouldn't press him for an answer. The whole thing is just... strange. I know what I heard, and I know it can't be her, but... But is it wrong of me to hope? A small delusion never hurt anyone. Right? The bright side to all of this is that the big light is ready for the soon-to-appear storm. I, however, am not. I hate storms. Anyway, for the sake of being honest when I tell Roger that I've done my job, if anyone's out there tonight, on the bridge, you don't need to worry about traffic. Like at all. I promise. From Watchtower 10, this is Etta, signing off. And remember, no matter how enticing that water looks... Don't go in it. This episode of The Bridge was written by Alex Brown and Rebecca Mahoney. It features, in order of appearance, Sarah Grover as The Welcome Brigade, Alex Brown as Etta, Liz Hall as Kate, Chris Martin as Roger, and David Piccarello as Birdie. We're happy to introduce Stephanie Wiggum as Mysterious Voice Number One and Jen Elysian as Mysterious Voice Number Two. This episode also features Olivia and Maya Smith as the creepy laughter. The two wonderful pieces of music that accompanied tonight's Mockingbird folktale, as well as the Welcome Brigade chime, were composed by the coolest cat around, Sarah Fairchild. Our spectacular main theme was composed by the equally spectacular Jake Hall. This episode was edited and mixed by Alex Brown. The static sound effects playing under our mysterious voices, as well as this sound... We're provided by Dead Signals, creators of the Archive 81 podcast. We'd also like to thank our friends at Tannis for being awesome. If you're not already listening to them, check them out. Want to learn more about why Aqualand was such a bad idea? Visit our website at thebridgepod.com. You can also find us on Twitter at bridge underscore podcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes and feel free to email us at watchtower10reports at gmail.com. It's kind of a long address, but if you go to our website and click on the little mail icon, it'll lead you right to it. And we like email, so please send them in. Thank you once again for listening to The Bridge. As a special treat, we have a slight insight into my editing process. Um, So what you'll hear is me laughing a lot and recordings arguing with each other. Okay, this is kind of hilarious. So I am um, editing the dialogue and... It's really rough, but this is basically what just happened. Once we fall in. No one. Don't fall. That was good. Try that more time. No. I need you. (laughs) Again, you just heard The Bridge, Episodes 1 and 2, Bedtime Stories, and Salty Abyss, written and created by Alex Brown and Rebecca Mahoney. For more information and episodes, visit bridgepod.com. And if you want to show your love and support for the series, you can check out their Patreon page at patreon.com slash thebridgepodcast. And that's it for tonight. 
We've got more chilly tales on the way as the holidays are approaching and the year draws to an end. And our script writing competition is kicking off this weekend. All are welcome to apply. We will have full details on our website this Sunday, along with our episode archive fully updated, I promise. <laughs> that web address is midnightaudiotheater.com, where you can also hear some of our past MAT features, which are the produced winning stories of scriptwriting winners past. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at midnightaudiotheater at gmail.com. And while you're online, don't forget to leave us a like on our Facebook page. We'll be back again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. I'm Kathy Ranella saying thank you for tuning in. BBC World News is up next.